0: Bespoken Media
1: Welcome to the Lantern Poetry Podcast The day's theme we're playing with is water Step off the Royal Mile Turn down the wee laney Ahead of you and above you is the black of Salisbury Crags And to your left is a wee low building with a glass glass timber and tile. It is the Scottish Poetry Library. Then you come through the main door and you're surrounded by shelves and shelves of pamphlets, collections, new editions and old anthologies. Come round the back into a wee meeting room and you find us. Four pals gathered in some microphones to share some poems. On every episode of the Lantern Poetry Podcast, you find myself, Ali Heather, and Scotland's national poet, Urmacher, Kathleen Jamie. How are you doing, Kathleen?
2: Hello. I'm very glad to be here.
1: Yeah. So tell us what you think of the day's theme, Water.
2: Well, I mean you think of water, I've lived all my life in Scotland, so for me it's it's everywhere and all the time. If it's not coming down it's rain, it's in the rivers, in the lochs. If it's not the North Sea, it's the Atlantic. There's there's no getting away for water here.
1: Hundred percent. Best tap water on earth as well.
2: Yeah, and, and that's before we get into all its metaphorical
1: connotations that we'll talk about later. Totally. So joining us on every episode, me and Kathleen are alongside two terrific poets. Some of them you can already, some will be new to you, but trust us, they're all brilliant. Today we're joined by Roshni Gallagher and Don Patterson. Hello, Roshni. Hello. And hello, Don. How are you doing? So just to give the audience a wee sense of yourself, Roshni, tell us, where do you enjoy most to do your work?
3: I think for me, I have to be on my own and I have to be in my little room in my desk looking out at this wonderful cherry tree outside my window, watching watching the birds, watching the sky, just writing on my own there.
1: Wonderful, wonderful. And Don, where do you like to do your best work? I don't know really.
0: I mean, it's just like, I think, you know, wherever it, you know, it kicks off, I don't have a special space. I'd like to think it was movie shed, but there are too many distractions. And also, that's kind of assuming that you know that that one enjoys doing it. I always suspect when I when I'm enjoying writing a poem, it usually doesn't go well.
1: Is that right? No, it's got to be made of a struggle. Worse, I think. You know, it's just like well, we're here to share poems. That is what today is all about. Roshni, do you want to kick us off? Tell us about what you'd like to read first, and then read it for our audience.
3: Absolutely. So the first poem I'm reading today is from my pamphlet Bird Cherry, and it's about my granny. My granny dreams of Guyana. My granny looks at me and she sees herself. Her living room full of glasses, half drunk. Pictures of gods hang above the bed. She listens to a record, spinning out in another room, another house. The rant of rain on begonias, mangrove and wood slats the parrots asleep things change i try to pull quiet in to cover us the walls sing she looks at me and she sees herself in the slant moon the water the waning bank
2: thank you roshni reading my granny dreams of Guyana. So there's me on about lochs and the North Sea and immediately your water theme takes us to Guyana mm. and, and to your, to your granny. Um, so twice in that short poem you say, my granny looks at me and sees herself, or she looks at me and sees herself. So conversely, I guess you look at yourself and see your granny. Mm. So is this a poem about inheritance?
3: It is. It's, it's a poem about carrying on. After, perhaps, my granny will pass away in the future.
2: Inheritance and continuity, then?
3: Yes, continuing her legacy through myself as much as I can or as much as I would hope to.
2: So in in this poem, you you evoke that other place and other culture very delicately. We've got begonias and mangroves and parrots, and that's Mm -hmm. that's all it takes to get us away from this place. Mm. Do you carry that in your mind a lot, those images?
3: Well, I've never been to Guyana. Have you not? No, oh. no. And I don't know very much about it. And so for this poem, I was, I was thinking about it in fragments uh-huh. and in the fragments that my granny has shared with me and been able to share with me. Guyana is the land of many waters. Is that called. what the name means? It's, it's, that's what it's known as. Oh, nice. Um, right. And so a lot of it is rainforest. Oh, mm. well, it just gets better and better, is mm. not it? <laughs>
2: So that's that's a wonderful thing to be able to imagine. So Mm. your your granny was raised there?
3: Yes, my granny grew up there, and then she came to the UK um, as part of the Windrush generation. Oh, I see. Uh And now, so in this poem, I'm sort of evoking her. So she has dementia, Uh Mm. and it's about her, the memories of the past overlapping with the present day, Uh and those memories coming back, quite strongly
1: that's something that you do like that does occur as your memory starts to go in your older age you tend to return back to your kind of your childhood state a lot of your child like a lot all work with scots language and you find the older generations as they do start to experience dementia they completely throw off all the old rp pronunciations they were taught and return back to speaking quite a rich scots like the language of their youth and so much of that poem feels like that that returning back that my granny like she only had to return from her Carnoustie-based back to Colbarkham where she was growing <laughs> up, so it's no, it's not that exotic, yeah. but very much like you could feel that that drawing back, which I thought came through beautifully in the poem. And that collection you brought, it was so impactful, like really wonderful mm, work. Thank you. And yeah, the water theme, and you bringing us to the land of many waters. Mm. Amazing. Dawn, would you like to share your first poem with us? I'm trying to remember when I wrote this. I must be
0: cracking on for about 18 years ago. But it's called Sliding on Loch Ogle. Remember, brother soul, that day spent cleaving nothing from nothing like a thrown knife. Then there was no arriving and no leaving. Just a dream of the disintricated life. Crucified and free, the still man moving, the balancing his work. The winter's wife.
2: That's just gorgeous. I love the way we've now got water in its frozen manifestation. You know, that's a divine image, isn't it? Cleaving nothing from nothing like a thrown knife. I'm thinking that, that this is a, a poem that t- craves frictionless, it wants to be frictionless, literally, metaphorically. Am I right? That, that sense of, I nearly said freedom, it's actually terrifying of just sliding.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I was trying to go for that in the sound of the poem as well, you know. And it did occur to me, like, you know, when I gave, I should apologise to Ali for having given a rather facile or facetious answer to where do I enjoy writing, you know. But it was one of those poems that I didn't sort of did enjoy in as much as it was written as a kind of emotional solution to a kind of hard time, you know. And, and you know, and, and this was a place where I went where I felt briefly liberated at a difficult time in my life you know so so there was a, a kind of a suasion element to it and i think that's maybe ties in with the water theme for me mm-hmm. you know i think often water comes with a certain assuagement i think you know because it offers possibility you know it's because it's a protein and obviously fluid you know and that can you know and you somehow feel it's 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 there as a The medium of possibility almost, you know.
2: So in the middle of this poem, which is actually very clean, smooth diction, you've got this one word, disintricated, which is difficult to say. It obviously comes from intricate and trying to make things not intricate. And you've crammed an awful lot into the sound and into the function of that that one word. I guess I'm speaking for you here, the, the motion of sliding with your arms out, you know, just for a moment, just for one moment, you know, you can achieve that. Unconfusion.
0: Yeah, I mean, that was the idea, but I think, you know, sort of, and that word is there as a sort of stumbling block to remind yourself what you were liberating yourself from and the difficulty of doing so, you know. And I think as poets, we're always looking to find those words that are kind of iconic of the things they describe, you know, and just in how they sound very often, you know. And I was fortunate enough to come across the word, which I hadn't known, you know, um, before, you know. Can so, we
2: ask where you found it?
0: In a, in a kind of hairy translation of... Rilke can't remember the translator, but we were one of Rilke's early translators who was trying to sort of bend the language to find solutions to, you know, accommodate these really difficult German ideas, you know, and had used this word, and he may have coined it, you know, but of course it's just dissent and So you nicked it? I nicked
2: it. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, sort of, yes, absolutely. What's
0: <laughs> the line again? Mature poets, steel. <laughs>
2: now, what put what poets for? Not to bring more, more concepts. I push the language out to the point of, of disintegration. And then Agreed. Yeah. It back again, that's, that's, that's part of our job, I think. Thank you.
1: I, yeah, that poem is, it is so brief, I wouldn't mind hearing it one more time if that's possible. Now that we've discussed it a little bit, I wouldn't mind just hearing it once more through for our audience to really get a second crack at sure, it. Sure, happy to read it again. Sliding
0: on Loch Ogle. Remember, brother soul, that day spent cleaving nothing from nothing, like a thrown knife then there was no arriving and no leaving just a dream of the disintegrated life crucified and free the still man moving the
1: balancing his work the wind his wife don that was brilliant uh, for yous here in Bairns, playing in the background, we are in the Scottish Poetry Library. We decided to note this in a dead studio space. We wanted to bring you, our audience, into the Scottish Poetry Library, and this is a living, breathing ecosystem of words and experiences. And right now, there's a bunch of kids upstairs doing some sort of poetic workshop as we record downstairs. It's a living, breathing space, and I'm glad you're sharing it with us. Roshni, I'd love to go back to your amazing sort of debut collection there, Bird Cherry, and I believe you're going to share with us like page one, poem one of your work (laughs) as a published poet. So I'd love to hear this.
3: So this poem kind of works as the forward to the pamphlet. April River. That morning I said too much. It felt like stumbling out into the garden at night and plunging right into the pond. Later, too much followed us out on the drive, and out through the fields. Followed whilst the heat made moons of our upturned faces, as the clouds dandelined apart. I wanted to unloosen into the ice of the April River. I wanted to be a gill. The water was clear and cold and quiet, its depth a boulder against my belly, my eyes still sticky with pollen. In the river, I found every river I'd ever touched, meadow sweet and wet trouser cuffs. I wanted to be cleansed like blooming silt, like water over rock. Instead, the river dappled and deepened its mirror, and I met myself unchanged.
2: Thank you, Rashni, for, for April River. That's really nice. Um, Obviously, we're we're on a podcast, you can't actually see the poems, how they're laid out in the page. So it might be worth saying this is is beautifully arranged in little couplets. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine of them, and then a single last line, Mm. you know. And that brings silence and space into the poem as well, Mm. you know. So it says, it's a mysterious poem. Lots of your poems are, are quite mysterious. We don't know quite who's addressing whom. That morning I said too much. We're never told to whom... And what was said? Quite rightly, you know, it's none of our business. <laughs> but um, it's the aftermath of that that the poem then considers, oh, through these gorgeous images, as the clouds dandelioned apart. Mm. You know, we were just talking earlier about about putting in a complex word into the middle of a poem mm. deliberately to let people mm-hmm. stumble over it, and and you do something opposite here. One of my favourite lines. Ironically, the water was clear and cold and quiet, Mm. which is truly simple, you know, simple language, Mm, but it has depth and resonance. And it proves the point, I think. You don't have to have highfalutin or fancy words. Mm. You know, a line like that can just do as much work.
1: Mm, You can disintricate yourself from all the complexity. (laughs) (laughs) But
2: then you do drop in something like disintrigued. <laughs> still can't say it. <laughs> yeah. do You do drop in a complex word and it detonates. So um, the, the water's functioning here is a sort of, I was going to say a cleansing force, but it's mm. not actually cleansing. I met myself unchanged. Yes, it didn't, didn't do the job, did it?
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, firstly, I chose this poem for the start of my pamphlet because I thought it would be so fun to open it by saying i said too much already, <laughs> like, already said
2: too much. <laughs> great first line for a yeah. career <laughs> <laughs>
3: but i wrote this poem about some wild swimming that i was doing in the borders and it it's about coming to nature with a feeling of anxiety or or worry and wanting nature to heal you or wanting to find a sign in the nature or in the water and then realizing that that's not coming but maybe it never needed to and maybe you just needed to learn to accept the saying too much accept being too much um, and accept that anxiety sort of see it reflected back at you
2: so you go to nature looking for a cure and mm. don't find one and that itself is the is the yes. cure yes yeah. the, the never, nature of the river did do its strange work
3: you never needed to be cured maybe
2: well there's a revelation mm,
1: And now we're gonna go back to Don Patterson for his next poem, which comes from our theme of water. Don, do you want to give us a lovely reading? It's called The Fraud.
0: I was 20 and crossing a field near Bridgefoot when I saw something glossing the toe of my boot and bent down to spread the bracken and dock where a tiny wellhead had broken the rock. It strained through the gap as a little clear tongue that replenished its shape by the shape of its song. And then it spoke. It said, son, I've no business with you. Whatever I own is an ex fellow's due. But if I'm as doom or Castilian spring, your directive's the same. Keep walking. But before it could soak back into the stone, I dropped like a hawk and I made it my own. And I bit its slim root until it confessed, then swallowed its shout in the cave Of my breast. Now two strangers shiver under one roof the one who delivers the promise and proof, and the one I deploy for the poem or the kiss. It gives me no joy to tell you this.
2: It gives me the shivers? Does it give you the shivers? A wee bit. And, and still, yeah, oh.
0: yeah, it's, it's funny because most of your your own poems tend not to give you the, the shivers because you know them too well, but you know, mm. but occasionally it's like, oh God, don't ever like that. Yes, you know? <laughs> <No, laughs> it's,
2: it's, 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 it has some bearing on the, on the intricate life, hasn't it? My goodness. So it's a, it's a narrative, it's a story, it's intensely rhymed, and it has a feeling of being very old. I don't know what I mean by that. Folkloric, I think.
0: I think it's maybe in the form. You know, it's it's a kind of odd two-step. But yeah, it's like a half a half-time ballad or something like that. Yeah, so that that seemed appropriate.
2: And and like Russian it's about also what is refusal to do what you wanted to do. You know, and to, to cleanse or to in this case, it's like providing the author with two tongues. You know, yeah, providing duplicity and and the ability to to. Not to lie and to play off against each other at them yeah it's quite sinister
0: well it was like it was a sort of Calvinist version of you know that that boy personal helicon you know, you know that one you know which is a very kind of you know I'm going to the childhood source of his own kind of inspiration in a way you know a very well adjusted poem, so this is the same thing, but much less well adjusted. <laughs> and feeling that you're not entitled to the voice somehow, you're not
2: entitled. It.
0: No, there's a bit of Scottish cringe in there, so there's a, so one has to steal it, it's someone else's you know inspiration that you're stealing, you know. And and uh, and it was meant for the next guy, but you got in there first. But unfortunately, <laughs> you, you, you know, this has led to you being a bit double tongued, you know, so it's it's uh. You know, and uh, and you end up suspecting them both as a result. I think that's a problem with having two tongues. You can't trust either. Twelve languages as well, like you know, oh, just no, like there's I mean. There's, so there's, so that's the other aspect of it. I mean, I think that comes with being Scots, and you know, and I, I hear myself flipping between. Well, I find it easier being bi-dialectal and switching clearly from one code to the other. Do you know what I mean? Rather than trying to steer some middle way. And you know, and I think that's a, a, a bit there and is the heart of the problem, really. Mm-hmm. But the is really about sort of a relationship to poetry as well as language. Yeah, for
2: sure. But this poem's in English.
0: Is it? Ah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: You should. Maybe you could write a Scots, complete Scots version and see where that one is. Yeah, it's
0: a, sort of, it's a sort of poem that, you, that one might think about translating. Mm-hmm. That tends not to work, though. It's, uh, you know, sort of... I don't know if you've tried writing scott's versions of what i know you have of your own english poems you know and it's just like and sometimes you know it gains and loses but it's never the same you
2: know? it goes a slightly different place which i find interesting
0: yeah but it turns out you know i mean it turns out your most your favorite effects were you know the result of kind of weird kind of confluences of sound and sense mm-hmm. that only exist in one language yeah. and can't be kind of and you, don't and you, find the same coordinate and, all sure, of and
2: you're full of rhymes you lose all you'd lose that you, you lose other
0: rhymes so you have to find other yeah. things to say <laughs> <laughs> you got a whole new
2: poem well, It is It is. It's a great poem you, you often do, not often, you occasionally do These great little ballads Not ballads, but they're personal, first person ballads
0: You know, wee stories I always go to ballads whenever I've got something I don't want to write about Whenever I'm frightened of writing something or, it, or the subject matter is really unpleasant My default is to write in ballad me
2: Because the ballad forms a, a safe old place Yeah, or?
0: just exactly it's, it's, I mean, it, yeah, it's not a, There's no. It's not a page Freud
1: moment. It's it's a, yeah. It's just a, a kind of safe space, you know, in which to do something reckless. The so the location of the poem feels like it kind of it works very well with doing it, the ballad, the kind of folkloric element that you're talking about there. Because Bridgefoot for them, the Arne Fay around that part of the world is just where Dundee meets the countryside. It's an area that's kind of loaded down with these kind of folk stories. There's a big carved pictish stone just out the back of Bridge Foot, which has stories associated with it. There's a famous in Dundee story of Martin who killed a serpent there. And the area is called Strathmartin in folkloric terms because of this guy. So it's an area that kind of is rich with these stories, and it feels like a good place to set such a thing. Was that in your mind? Yeah, I think it was. You know, and I think you know that's hence all
0: these sort of references to Castilian Springs, you know, which is a spring that you'd that you drink from in your way to Delphi and your way to see the Oracle, you know. So I think you know, sort of clearly for you too, that area has that, you know, it's still invested with these strange eldritch kind of kind of properties. And Bridgefoot's a kind of weird place. I mean, It's almost like it's on a ley line in that regard. Mm. And as you say, it's close to this old Pictish Stone where Martin's supposed to have a the serpent, you know. It's not in the poem, and I think there's, there's an aspect of poem sometimes that's quite intimate and may just be addressed to another local, you know, but uh, and I don't think you should worry too much about other folk not getting it. Mm-hmm. Which is to say there's always an aspect of poetry, especially in Scots, that's slightly exclusive. Mm-hmm. You know, For all that we talk about inclusivity all the time these days, occasionally you get a level of intimacy. You know, just, just be referred to things that only someone else would, 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 would can, you know. So, um, so it was interesting that you picked up on that, but that was very much my intention. But I thought it was more of a note
1: to self, or maybe, you know, somewhere local, you know. I'm very happy as an Angus man to have uh, what the Gardner described as one of Britain's greatest working poets doing sort of inside little references just for Angus people. Please continue. Just for Dundee (laughs) folk. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. Thank you for that. Roshni, would you, I believe you've got a final poem to share with us loosely on the theme of water.
3: So this will be my last poem today. The Whitby. The moon is thin and poised like a curlew's beak, all bone, hanging over the ocean, the abbey. We watch the seabirds being swept by the wind and I try to tell you about all my life you've missed. There are still so many sentences I can't reach. I know that out on the water, welcomed home is a replica of the ship they took my ancestors in to sugar plantations for former slave owners the Whitby sailing from India to the Caribbean a stale silence blowing in off the water to greet her coming back here is like mutely looking down on my own odd body as it moves without me. Nothing is familiar. This loved blank cliff is a memorial stone with the names bleached out.
2: All right. thank you, Roshni, for the Whitby, which um, is a ship, we now mm-hmm. realise.
3: And is there, a, is there a replica of it? So the replica is actually of a different ship. Okay. So it's about seeing reflections of my own family's history, I guess, in this place that I've deeply loved in Whitby. Um, And the Whitby is a real ship and it was one of the ships they used for indenture. So, yeah, the period when they had indentured labor in the Caribbean, Mm -hmm. which is what my ancestors would have been part of.
1: Right. So that was the India to Caribbean. Yes. So yeah. I didn't know much because I read that line. Mm. And I, like, because I'm, I'm aware from a sort of Scottish perspective of how that trade worked. Yeah. Could you just expand very slightly on the Indian to Caribbean side of that?
3: So it was after slavery was abolished. Mm-hmm. Um, they set up this process of indentured labor, mm-hmm. which wasn't slavery, but also wasn't that much better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they took people from India. Uh, some people who consented, some people who didn't. Uh, a lot of people were tricked. Mm. Um, a lot of people also had no choice. Maybe they were very poor. Mm-hmm. Um, then to places like Guyana, which is where my family are from.
1: That's good, because yeah, indentured servitude was something that was very common for stalking the white dominions, as they were called in the day, by getting like really poor Scots to sign up to labour for seven years. For women, it was very often to give seven years of service in a, in a someone rich's house. And you'd go there for seven years and then you'd get your freedom and then you could start your life, basically. Mm. So it was much like the student loan system, I think. And, um, but I, didn't, I never knew it went from India to, those, uh, to the places after the end of slavery. So they were yeah. still trying to run the sugar plantations mm. on the cheapest labour they could find within their sphere of influence.
3: Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I wrote this poem because I also didn't know and I think so many people don't know. Mm. And, you know, the ship was called the Whitby and I'm from Yorkshire. And that Yorkshire coast is one of my favorite places mm. in the world. Mm. But also it's worth saying that Scotland had a large role, like Edinburgh in particular, with indenture.
0: Oh, and yeah, that something no, of course.
3: Yeah, it's just something that's never spoken about at all. And I didn't know until I was 20. You know?
1: Totally. and I, Like I've yeah. studied, I've studied the yeah. sugar trade and things like that and was unaware of the indenture from India. That's, so thank you for bringing that. Thank you very much. And it's just a, a great poem as well. It is.
2: The poem opens, well, we think we're going to get a nice nature poem. Mm. It's a beautiful image. The moon is thin and poised like a curlew's beak. I adore mm. curlew's. Poised like a curlew's beak, all bone. And and then we're thinking, yes, lovely nature images. And then very suddenly, but very gently, you're you not one to, to, to beat us around. It goes into quite a different place, you know. And you you have a whole different catalogue of sensitivities that you're bringing to your, your poetry alert to a whole different range of, of possibilities, which is
3: really exciting, actually. Mm. It's good. And um, the memories that are in that land.
1: The Yorkshire.
3: Yeah, in Yorkshire, and Scotland. Just
1: tell us a wee bit about water in that, because I, like it was, we've talked about water as a cleansing thing and all that, but water in this is more like a a kind of motorway, like a, a, a moving between these places.
3: I mean, I, th- I think that water in poetry is... I mean, it's often used as a symbol for grief and a symbol of loss. Kind of what I'm using it for in this poem, especially in what's lost and what's not remembered. You know, the waters eroding the cliff, and these histories are being washed away. Essentially,
2: and the waters literally eroding the cliffs, mm. and so the, the, the treasured um, land is being yeah, yeah. reclaimed by the sea. Mm. The same sea that conveyed these these people to their to their fate. Mm. Could you say a tiny thing about the form of the poem? We're talking a lot about, about Don's ballad form, but you've obviously got a, a discipline, if we can say that, going on here.
3: Yes, yeah, it's, it's an unrhymed sonnet, and it's actually one of the earlier poems that I wrote, and it's one of the earlier poems in my pamphlet. I think when I first started writing poetry, as a lot of poets, I think the sonnet form is it's like a way in for a lot of people. I certainly found it very useful, and also it is... The um, relationship with like love poetry, and it is it's a love poem to my ancestors and to myself and to that history. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, both of you, for sharing your work with us today. That's been it's been insightful, it's been enriching. I've absolutely loved hearing it, and I've read all your poems. I've read these poems several times previously, but hearing you read them has added so much. Something we always do on the Lantern Poetry Podcast is ask one of our guests to uh, select a poem from the great Scottish canon, or just the canon in general. Today is no different. Don, you've selected today's poem from the canon. Can you introduce us before Kathleen gives us a reading? Yeah, sure. It's a poem by Douglas Dunn from uh,
0: Douglas's great book, Elegies, you know, which is, you know, I think for me, you know, the kind of high watermark of the elegiac form after... Thomas Hardy, I guess, you know. And it's a book that I, you know, sort of, you know, I reread every year. Douglas, you know, as as folk will probably know, you know, Scotland's preeminent poet, living poet, I think, just turned 80 recently. So we've been thinking about doing quite a lot. And it's a, a beautiful poem called Anniversaries.
2: Anniversaries by Douglas Dunn. Day by nomadic day or anniversaries go by. Dates anchored in an inner sky to utmost ground Interior clay. It was September blue when I walked with you first, my love, in Rauken Glen and Kelvin Grove, in Chinon's Beechwood Avenue. That day will still exist long after I have joined you where rings radiate the dusty air and bangles bind each powdered wrist. Here comes that day again. What shall I do? Instruct me, dear, longanimous encourager, Sweet soul in the athletic rain, and wife now to the weather. That goes right back to your line about his wife, the wind.
0: Uh, to the point that I'm starting to think I wonder if that's what I had in mind, or if I was calf stealing it. You know that no, I never, it never occurred to me until now because I point I know that well. You know, I wonder if that's where I got the idea
1: from. It's usually, you know, usually your best ideas have come from somebody else, haven't they? So, mm-hmm. So we could all act off a clever and kid on we knew every, the meaning of every word in that poem. But before we started recording, let's be honest we our audience, Kathleen and Don, you were both pondering what does longanimous actually mean? We speculated wildly for a bit, then somebody looked it up. It means forbearance or forbearing. Can you give us the line again?
2: Longanimous encourager, forbearing, an encourager who forbears.
1: What does that mean?
0: It's sort of somewhere between restraint and... Sort of mercy and you know, and, and temperance and uh, you know, to, you know and
1: that's it.
2: that's nice. Yeah. Instruct video, longanimous yeah. encourager. The two words encourager and longanimous seem to be pressing against each other.
0: Yeah. There's like there, I mean there's a like a little C paradox there, isn't there? You know, and I think, you know, Douglas does that. It's quite a Shakespearean effect, you know, where he'll you'll take words that are that are still in slightly different poles. But, but are united in sound, you know, so there's a wee f- frisson there between the two mm. of them. Um, but he's really good at that thing about popping a, a word in, almost like a little mnemonic that you haven't heard before, you know, and that uh, you're not likely to hear again, you know, it's just like, because you know, I've looked that up at the time and they have gone, oh, right, and I'll file it away and it just hasn't come up since, you know, and then it's like, well, I'll look it up again, you know, but it's a beautiful word.
2: It is, and so is disintricate. Disintric- <laughs>
1: the- <laughs> Disintricated. That like not to put you on the spot or anything but I know it's the first time you've heard that poem what are you what are your initial responses to it
3: I mean it's such a lovely poem some of the lines that stuck out for me at the, at the start the dates anchored in an inner sky I think that's so lovely and then yeah again right at the end sweet soul in the athletic rain that's just so it's quite intimate and it's just, yeah no absolutely beautiful,
1: beautiful. and I think Athletic Rain Mm. is how we will finish our water-themed podcast. Mm. Uh, So I'd like to say thank you so much again, Roshni. Thank you for joining us.
3: Thank you. It's been lovely.
1: Don, what a joy. Pleasure. Kathleen. My pleasure. Absolutely great crack. And I'd like to conclude by saying we are in the Scottish Poetry Library. It is for you. It is free. It's here just off the Royal Mile, so in you come and explore. All this work is there to take out. If coming to Edinburgh isn't something you're able to do, if you live in the UK, they'll post out any poems you like for free. Any collection they'll send to you and they'll send you an envelope with a stamp already on it for you to send it back. no cost. If that's too much of a hassle, then you can go on their excellent website and explore poems from there. Don, you've got loads of collections here in the library. If somebody's coming in, and getting a wee free crack at a Don Patterson, what book should they start with? One loves all one's children equally, do not uh, But, you know, there's always one... Well, actually, rain. There you go. Uh, let's stick with the water theme. The book called Rain. Mm-hmm. It's full of water. Yeah, absolutely is. I like all films that start with rain. Roshni, your collection will be shortly available in the library, but until it is, where can they get their hands on it?
3: Yeah, so it's my debut pamphlet. It's called Bird Cherry, and it's out with Verve Poetry Press. Yeah, at Blackwells or Waterstones or... Any little bookshop in Edinburgh, or you can get it direct from Verve.
1: Lovely, lovely. Well, guys, thank you, and thanks for listening. produced by the spoken media